0: Welcome to the Parenting in Uniform Podcast. My name is Claudia. I became a mom after 16 years of active duty service. That's when I discovered the disparity in knowledge amongst our military leaders concerning service members who are pregnant, postpartum, breastfeeding, and just dealing with military life while balancing families at home. I hope this podcast helps to enlighten us all on parenting while serving our nation. Hello, everybody. Today, we are going to speak with Janice Scholl, and we're going to talk about money. She helps moms navigate the money and career transitions that come with the different stages of motherhood through her work as a coach, speaker, workshop facilitator, and host of the Money, Career, and Motherhood podcast. Janice is passionate about helping mothers gain confidence and understanding about money, career, and business topics as they relate to motherhood and family, the way many women actually think about money. Her key areas of focus to help mothers succeed are navigating maternity leave, career breaks and transitions, and values-based budgeting. So welcome Janice. Thank you so much for having me today. So tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this because you don't really hear the discussion about money tied to motherhood as well.
1: Yeah, and you know, I really like to make it a conversation that we enjoy having because most moms, when we're when we're faced with talking about money, we're like, ugh. So that's really why I do it. But it was through my experience as a mother. I'm a mom of two children, aged ten and seven, and uh, had a thriving career before I became a mother, and thought that. I really thought, and all the moms out there are going to laugh at this, but I thought that motherhood was just something I had to schedule into my day around my already developed professional identity. You know, I don't think we talk enough about how so many of us have. A professional life that is really well established before we add motherhood and mommy to that title. And because of that, we underestimate the difficulty of integrating that motherhood identity into the person that we are today. So I had my firstborn, I was in grad school, I had a job, I worked in commercial banking, I was a VP there and so I had a a pretty big job, a pretty big uh, evening commitment in school and then we had a baby who had some medical challenges and so she didn't follow the books My time commitments were different than what I had planned for or anticipated, and my husband and I were just really blindsided by uh, how challenging things were, and I kept Thinking, you know, why didn't anybody tell me this? And some of the stuff they couldn't, but um, but some of the stuff I could have been better prepared for, and I wasn't. And so I made a commitment to myself then that I would help women navigate these things. And you know, so after we had my second, we moved overseas for five years, uh, and in that time, I was a trailing spouse, and I had the opportunity to meet different people who were also taking a pause in their career, and I realized we all had a lot of the same fears about what our career opportunities would be later, and that for many of us happen to be women, uh, it was that we didn't, we, we were like so nervous about this, but we didn't want to talk about it out there, and it was always a career and money conversation. It was never one or the other, and that's when I said, well, wait a minute. When we're talking to women about money, we have to talk about money, motherhood, family, and career, because we cycle all of those in our thoughts.
0: Okay, well, that's a lot right there, for sure. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So in the military, for a lot of moms, you know, this is our, well, we've invested so much training, a tremendous amount of time into the job field that we end up going under, or going into, and it's a, military career is a fantastic career. the benefits are amazing. And if, you know, for me, my goal is to be able to retire, which I can do in less than about two and a half years and, uh, you know, collect that pension, but not have to worry about my next job, you know, Mm -hmm. because I want to be able to have a lot of time with my son and you know, even be that soccer mom, because I finally have the time to retire and enjoy life. And my life is going to be dedicated, you know, to raising my son. And, um, but it's going to be hard to maintain, you know, my... Current lifestyle or spending habits uh, without getting another job after the military. So there's that stress for sure. Like, I have no idea what I'm going to (laughs) do post military and budgeting and saving uh, for my son, making sure that he has everything he needs. But can you talk to us a little bit about building positive relationships with money? Because I feel like a lot of people have different definitions of, or different ideas of what it should look like, as far as how you're supposed to save and. Everything. Yeah,
1: and you know, I really think that most of us think we have a healthier relationship with money than we do, and one of the reasons for that is because, you know, money is something that we learn through our family. We don't necessarily learn it from school. If we have the opportunity to learn it from school, the only piece we look at is money management. Mm -hmm. And really, it's this concept at the time that you're in high school, right? Because, you know, maybe you're managing a little bit of your own money, but you haven't dealt with the real major financial decisions of, you know, housing yourself and having a child that you're trying to save and afford and things like that. So we don't really know. That what we're being taught and what we're learning, even if we're not directly being taught by our parents, is an opinion and is one way of money. And so, you know, it's often not until we come across someone else, and you know, that can be a, a significant other, that can be a friend that you're living with. But it's like you've got to really be up close and personal with somebody else to recognize that there are other ways of doing money. And so, the way that I really like women in particular to think about money is to break it down into different foundations. We all know we need a strong foundation for a house. And we know that if that foundation is weak or if there are cracks in the foundation, that it's going to affect the integrity of the overall structure. And it's exactly the same with our money. So it's really hard for us to like objectively look at ourselves and say, hey, where am I weak in money? you kind of know it if you can't stop spending. But besides that, there's some other stuff that you don't notice as easily, like the mindset piece. So to have a healthy relationship with money, you've got to identify your weak spots and then say, okay, well, what is causing me this challenge? And I want everyone to realize, so one of the things I do on my podcast is I ask every guest What is one financial event or habit or money belief that you've had to work through personally? And I ask that question for money experts as well as everyday people, because the reality is every single one of us has areas of weakness and areas to work on. Now, In the mindset piece, it can be dramatically different, right? Because we do have different opinions and we do have different life experiences. So, you know, the scarcity mindset in a fear that you're never going to have enough money is just as great and just as significant as, you know, I need to continue to chase money all of the time and money is the only focus in life. Dramatically different impacts to your life but equally important.
0: So as far as IDing, you know, those areas of weakness, how do we even begin with that?
1: Yeah. So let me break it down for you in those, and those foundations. And the first one is money mindset. And this is going to seem like a really simple thing, but you're going to be like, Oh, so money is not an emotion. Money is a tool that we should be using to live the life we want. So I just want everyone to sit there and say the word money out loud and pause. And what do you feel? It, does it feel uncomfortable? Does it feel unnatural? Does it feel like drive that you have to get it? Because we often feel money, we don't use money, and we need to switch that around. So if you feel like money is running your life, then you have to check your mindset and you want to ask yourself the questions of, okay, well, where does this come from? What did happen in our family? And look, we're all doing things with our kids right now that, you know, are going to impact them differently than what we intend in the moment. And our parents did the same. We're all parenting the to the best of our ability. And you know what I learned from my parents with money has definitely, like my parents were great parents and it's definitely impacted me on how I look at money. It's really, you know, in my family, you work hard. That is the, it is not about having so much money but it is, you have to work hard to get that money. And at times when I couldn't focus as much on my career because of the challenges we were dealing with in our family, for instance, It was really, really uncomfortable for me Mm -hmm. because that's what we're supposed to do. That's what a good person does is we work hard. We commit to making that money for our family. And so that's the kind of stuff that I want you to unpack objectively. Don't think of it as, hey, did my parents do a good job or not? The reality is they did the best job they could. And we just need to understand, okay, well, how do we interpret that? Because often the way, you know, 10-year-old Janice interpreted what her parents were trying to teach her is different than what they really intended. And so it's not, it's not a, well, I had a good experience or a bad experience necessarily. It's okay, well, how did this imprint me? And now how does it change my lens on how I'm looking at the world going forward?
0: Okay. And you offer one-on-one coaching as well, right? To help identify these areas and work through it. Okay. I do,
1: because I really do think that it, it helps a lot to talk with someone else, because mm-hmm. when you do have those mindset barriers, like we think of things as facts that are actually opinions. It's mm-hmm. really hard to recognize fact and opinion. And so absolutely, I, and I work with women, like my basis is values-based budgeting. And what I mean by that is you need to set your intentions for what your family values are. And then make sure that, again, you're using your money as a tool that aligns with those family values. So one of the things you mentioned was that you're looking forward to being able to retire at a certain period of time because then you get to spend more time with your son and do the things that you wanted to do that maybe you can't today. Well, that's values-based budgeting, even though it's on the career side, because you're aligning your values with your long-term plans. Mm -hmm. And so I I do all of that with women and that's how I really am able to do it from the perspective of family and motherhood, even though it's a money topic.
0: Okay. And so once we ID kind of those weak areas, as far as our relationship with money goes, then we can make sure that we pass on a better, those better, those, I guess the values onto our children. So they have a better relationship with money in the future. Yes. And
1: when we're making money decisions, I'm going to tell you a quick story. This mm-hmm. is very short, but I was talking with a group, a group of high school students about what they wish they knew before they went to college. So they were all juniors and seniors. And so, you know, that was like top of mind for them. And this was pre COVID. So I'm sure a whole layer layer of complexity has been added, but, but I said, well, what do you wish you knew about money? And each, each kid had a different set of financial circumstances that their family was living within. And yet all of them ended up having the same theme of what they wish they would have known. And we think that they all want to know money management, right? And money management is one of the other foundations. We need to be able to know how to pay our bills on time, how to stay organized, how to make sure the inflows exceed the outflows. But that wasn't what they said. What they said was, you know, there was one who was her parents were going to pay for everything, all of her college. And so she just needed to go and figure out how to get in and how to do that. Another one, her parents said, look, after high school, you're on your own. And so you need to figure that out. And then the third one was somewhere in between. And each of them said, "Okay, that's fine. So like we we know what our circumstances are, but how do we make decisions how do we assess the opportunities versus the costs? Because we have no idea how our parents came to give us that information, right? So for the family who said no, well, the, the kid didn't know why. And same thing for the, for the one who his parents said, you know, you can go to medical school and we're going to send you there and it's going to be fine. They, they really just didn't understand that decision process. So what I want parents today who are trying to raise healthy money perspectives in their kids to think about is our kids need to understand how we make decisions when it comes to money. And we want to present it to them in a way that says, "Hey, we if if we have what we need, we want them to feel safe and secure that we have what we need, but it is okay to talk to our kids about how we make trade-offs." Because there's always more to buy than what the money uh, than whatever money we have. And so I think a lot of parents will sometimes avoid talking to their kids about money because they don't want them to feel like they have less than, or they don't if they do have a lot, they don't want them to feel like they have more than others. But the reality is we do need to talk to our kids about those trade-offs so that one day, when they're on their own, they can think back to why their parents thought what they thought and how they decided one way of spending, one thing to spend on was more important to that family than the other. And when you practice it from values-based budgeting, you're also reinforcing what you want your kids to value long-term as well. And so I think it really can reinforce our parenting philosophies as well as teach them how to think about money
0: okay so now what if we feel really stuck about where we're at when it comes to money like you know for in the, for instance in the military if you have back to back kids which most people sort of do you know within a two year period two three years or so uh, then you're never really in good enough shape to get you know, great score on your physical fitness test, or maybe you don't even get that test done because you're still in the exemption period, postpartum period, and then you don't, you're not able to get into the right schools. And so then you're not able to be promoted. So you're in this like kind of never ending loop and you have these limitations because of childcare and you're just worn out. How can you even just get past that, you know, and think, okay, I, I can get through this and get through any debt and all of that.
1: Yeah. So, and let me take a step back and I'm going to tell you, I I mentioned a couple of those foundations. I'm just going to list them and then I'm going to answer your question. Okay. So, we already talked about money mindset and I mentioned money management. There's also making money, saving money, using debt, and growing money. Those are the six foundations that I want you to think about. And when you're feeling stuck, it can be in different categories. So again, knowing what those foundations are are going to help you decide how you need to approach that feeling of stuckness. Now, what you mentioned is making money, I think, because for for your circumstances, your ability to make money is directly impacted by your your parenting, by the decision to have babies at a certain time, right? Mm -hmm. So that can be, it it is a direct barrier. Like I don't want any woman to feel that I discount the fact that it, it is incredibly challenging to be able to maintain a career or to continue to grow and progress at the rate you want to when you have literal barriers. And that doesn't mean that you can't adapt and still work through those. And so what I want what I want women to recognize is that having a plan in place first, that recognizing the barriers. I don't like feeling blindsided. When I had my first, I felt blindsided. I felt that it was harder than I realized and I didn't have the plans in place. Mm-hmm. When I work with women, it's to help them create the plans. And that feeling of stuckness comes from, I don't know what to do next. And when you feel like you don't know what to do next, it's really hard to take away that emotion piece again and look at, okay, well, how do I work myself out of this? So the first step is planning. And we can't necessarily predict what's going to happen, but we can predict the outcome of what's going to happen so for instance i'm going to use you know people working in in other industries but we didn't we individually did not predict covid right we we know right. that maybe some people did predict that eventually there would be a pandemic but we never knew 2020 was going to be the year and we were all blindsided but going into 2020 based on our personal lifestyle based on the industry we worked on worked in we could have predicted th- with some reasonable probability probability of whether or not our income was at risk in mm-hmm. 2020 and so what i want people to first do is say okay i can't predict the future but i can prepare for it so preparing for it can avoid some of that feeling of stuckness. And then the second piece is if you, you're you like, okay, I'm already here. I don't know how to get out of this. I'm feeling it right now that planning stuff is great for somebody else who's before me. If you're in that place, then again, it's assessing your priorities when it comes to personal, professional, and family. I find that a lot of us look at our personal or not our personal, I'm sorry, our professional and our family, because we prioritize our kids, right? We always think about what's best for them and we look at our career, but then we forget about ourselves. And when you actually start putting yourself back into that mix and stop that, I'm going to push myself as hard as I can, then you get to see life in a different perspective. And, you know, you talked about, again, working right now. To support your family later through pension and being able to retire and do something different. You don't know what that future is going to look like. But it's a lot easier to make a decision to work to something than through something. So you're working to that event. And you're thinking about yourself and the personal value that you're going to get from that time, as well as how impactful that would be for your son. And so I want people, I want women to number one, think about yourself again, because we don't do that enough. Number two, work to something. Don't just work through something because when we're in the middle of it, it's it's hard. And That family values piece, again, can be a real strong driver of how we get through that. I am doing this today because tomorrow I will be able to do X. And we need to remind ourselves that on a daily basis. And that can be, I'm going to save today because of something I want to do tomorrow. Or this is really hard today because my career is being impacted, but I value what I'm doing with my kids and I value having my kids close together in age or whatever it is. So I accept this, this period of transition or this period of extra challenge because there is something on the other end of this that I think is really important to me.
0: All right, right. So as far as predicting that outcome, it's really defining the end state that you're, you're kind of striving for. What you do today is a means to get there in order to achieve that end state. Absolutely. Okay. And then can you talk a bit about what is defined as good debt? Because a lot of us have payments and things, you know, for me, the biggest debt I ever had was college loans. And it's one of the reasons why I enlisted in the army, but I didn't really necessarily think of that as being bad debt either. Yeah. So
1: I'm in my forties and student loan debt has changed dramatically. In recent decades. So I'm gonna talk about it kind of as the years went by. And there is such a thing as good debt and bad debt. Now I'm a former banker, so I'm very comfortable with the concept of debt. And you know, I I don't think that we individually do a good enough job of assessing the value and of the cost, the cost of the debt that we incur compared to what we're getting in return for it. So I believe that investing in yourself is really important. And for many of us, we don't have the cash laying around to just go to college and invest for ourselves. So in concept, student loans are great. I also believe in mortgages. You know, Mm. our family is debt averse and I do wanna work ourselves out of debt, but at a point in time, it is a necessary thing for most people to incur debt so mortgages and student loans are a different category now student loans if you're getting a degree in something and it's going to it's going to turn into 100,000 dollars in debt and you're going to get a job afterwards that is Spotty opportunity, like you may or may not find a job. And if you can't get a solid income with a decent trajectory for opportunity, then I don't necessarily value that debt the Mm -hmm. same as a degree and and student loan debt associated with that degree, where you have a solid career trajectory and opportunity for earnings. Because at the end of the day, and it's hard because we all want to enjoy our work. But at the end of the day, our job needs to provide us with money. We need that tool to survive. And I would love that not to be the case, but I want people today. So when we were going to school, student loans weren't as large as they are today. And then we had a lot more visibility on how much we were going to earn, and what our kind of career plan was going to be after that. In today's world, a lot of kids, they don't know what they're headed into. They don't know how stable their job is going to be. And so I do think that should influence how much money you're willing to incur in debt. And, you know, opportunities to reduce your student loans or to avoid student loans, I highly advocate, you know, going to a community college for someone may be a great first step instead of spending all that money on going away to school and not knowing what they're going to actually go into. Figure some life out first, if that's Mm -hmm. what you need to do, or pursue military opportunities. Find ways to avoid the debt if that feeling of security is important to you. Mm -hmm. So that's the student loan side. Now I want to talk about the mortgage. The mortgage is a great thing, and a very important investment. But what you have in a mortgage should not be the same in your 50s as when you're in your 30s or your 20s. Now, we as Americans have just accepted debt as a way of life, and it is not a way of life. It is money and it is a tool. So, you know, thinking that you can maintain the same amount of debt load later in life. As you can when you're in your prime earning years. And there's a misconception about what our primary or primary earning years are, is, is not healthy. If you are in your late 50s and you have a high mortgage and you can afford that on a cash flow basis, that's still dangerous. And the reason is because most people in their 50s will actually suffer a job loss or they will suffer a reduction in income that is not their choosing. And so we often think like, well, we're going to make the most money when our kids are older and we're in our fifties and it's going to be fine, but it's not necessarily always the case. So understanding that debt is necessary at a point in time, it should be an investment, but that we should actually pay it off over time is really important.
0: So thank you for really breaking it down. But as far as what would you say is really not good debt that we should always avoid?
1: So, okay, you never solve a short-term problem with a long-term answer, and you never... Solve a long term problem with a short term answer. Mm-hmm. So, what that means is a lot of times, you know, when we're talking about money, it's credit cards, right? It's credit cards and it's vehicles. Vehicles, we, we're like, well, we want to spend this money because we want something nice today. We want to have a new car. We want to have that extra seat because we've got a kid in the car and things like that. But then we don't think about the long term financial implications of doing that. On credit cards, it's We want something today, and we're not going to pay it off today, so we're actually going to pay for it over the long term. We want to avoid that because the the significant impact in cost long term, we're going to pay so much more than if we were to be able to pay cash today. So I really want everyone to realize that the cost of credit cards, if you don't pay them off monthly, is so substantial that it is robbing future you and future family from the ability to be able to do what you want to do at a later date. The, the debt just has a way of growing once we get comfortable using credit cards. Now, if you're in credit cards today and you want to work yourself out of them, it can feel really overwhelming. And so there are different ways. People, people are like, well, how do I pay off that debt? How do I find a way to get through this? And you really want to figure out what your motivator is. And that can often come from those foundations, again, and understanding how you think about money. For one family, it might be best to pay off the smallest debt amount. If you have five credit cards, you pick the one that's $250 and you pay that off, and then you celebrate that win. Even if it's not your highest interest amount,
0: mm-hmm.
1: it, you, you need momentum. You need small wins to be able to celebrate and say, hey, I can do this. And, you know, for another family, they might want to pick the mathematical route and pay the highest credit card first, the highest interest credit card first. It really just depends on how you look at your circumstances. But I find for most people, starting with some small quick wins to pay off debt, even if it is, hey, you know, I cleaned out the garage or I had, I did this and I sold some stuff that we weren't using anymore. And I was able to pay off a hundred bucks, 150 bucks. That's an event that you took action Mm -hmm. to improve your personal circumstances. And then it builds on itself.
0: Yeah. I have a good example of that. When my first deployment, I was still a second Lieutenant and we were in Afghanistan. And the good thing about those deployments back then is I wasn't, I didn't have to spend any money back home, uh, you know, so it was really great savings. But I was able to pay off my car and my student loans. And I had both an undergraduate and a master's that I was paying off. And I paid off the student loans first because it was, the smaller amount at that point, my car was still pretty new. And, and I remember kind of celebrating it, just like you said, you want to celebrate yeah. those wins. And two of my fellow platoon leaders with me uh, were West Pointers. They said, oh, you should have done the car first because I bet that in, that that rate was higher. The interest rate was higher. And I was like, you don't even know what I'm talking about because <laughs> you guys didn't even have to pay for college. That's <laughs> part of the <laughs> perk of West Point, you know, so they never had to even face that. Yeah it was a huge win for me because I had had that loan for so long at that point, you know, and it had, at that point it was, yeah, almost 10 years. So yeah. yeah. And like, so I'm a finance person. I mean, I've got two degrees in finance. I worked Mm -hmm. in banking. I
1: understand the mechanics of the math. I really do with interest, but the one that is the best is the one that keeps you going and actually gives you more momentum because once you have those small wins and you do celebrate, you're like, what else can I take on? Right? right. Yeah. So I love that. And you're totally right. And, and student loans are such an accomplishment. I don't think that we appreciate the feeling that we get when we pay those off. Cause you're like, man, I worked so hard for this deg- degree. Mm-hmm. This represents kind of this completion of this huge event that everyone should, you know, have that little inside party, outside party, whatever, when you pay off those student loans, just like you did when you graduated.
0: All right. Do you have any insight on some advice on credit cards too, for anybody that might be new to credit cards? Like what is a good interest rate for a credit card these days?
1: So I'm not going to answer that question. And here's okay. why, because it really depends significantly on an individual's credit score. Okay. And what here's what I will tell you. You can negotiate. With most financial products, like you can ask questions and you can get a better rate. So mm-hmm. whatever your rate is, uh, I would advocate contacting your credit card company and asking if there's room for improvement. Okay. Now, I do not advocate getting a 0% APR credit card and transferring all of your other cards over. And again, mathematically, I understand how that can be helpful, but it it does not take into account the human behavior. When we have no, we have no incentive to pay it off because we can keep rolling it over, then we don't necessarily feel that urge to pay it off as much. Right. So I think, you know, like my husband is really good at this stuff because he's the one who negotiates more so than I do, but I will do it. We, like he pushes me and makes me do it. So I'm, health- I'm happy for that. But, you know, you literally call your credit card company once a year or once every six months and say, I'm a good customer. Is there an opportunity for a better rate? Or even if you're a new customer, what can I do to get a better rate? Is this the only rate available? And more often than not, if you have a decent credit score, you will find a way to reduce that rate. Now, the goal is that you're only using a credit card for timing or convenience. Mm -hmm. So you're not paying that credit card. So if somebody is just starting off with credit cards, please try to only buy what you can afford to pay off that month. And then the credit card rate actually doesn't matter, and they would give you a really great credit rate or you know interest rate when you don't have to use it, right? That's the whole thing. So, so finding a way to not ever pay that interest is the best option. That is the part that is one hundred percent in your control. Asking for better rates is partly in your control.
0: Okay, and. And you know, all of this is within our control. It's really just learning how to manage it all. So I think it can be really intimidating. And like you said from the very beginning of this interview, is not. It's this isn't a, a skill we ever really learn. It's yeah. on the job training, as we like to say. You know, it is. And mm-hmm. I
1: want to just like one last thing I want to say about it is, you know, we often. Take an event and then tell ourselves a story about what that says about us as a person going forward. So mm-hmm. let's take someone in college who makes some bad financial decisions with credit cards. One person could take that experience and carry it forward into their life and say, Well, I'm bad at money. I'm bad at money, and here's the evidence. Another person could take that experience and say, Well, that was a really great learning opportunity. I'm glad I had that early in life. And so that really signifies the difference in how we can approach money. And I want, again, everyone to know, we all have room for improvement. Everything is a learning opportunity. You always have the opportunity to improve.
0: All right. That's fantastic. Well, I really appreciate you talking to us today, especially, I think it's really important to understand that money is not an emotion. It shouldn't be an emotion. So if you feel an emotion to it, try to define it or try to like realize that it's there even because I never even thought well how do I feel about money I guess to really sit back there and and absorb it and then understanding that is in fact a tool is there anything else you'd like to discuss with us today
1: well I just want everyone to know that you know you're not alone and I am happy to help anyone. And I wanna offer to anyone in your audience, 90 minutes of my time, you know, calendar permitting, but that can be in two 45 minute sessions or that can be in one hour and a half session. You know, I appreciate you so much and I want to help you as much as I can. And even if you just wanna tell me, hey, there was something in this episode that was really helpful or I have a question, shoot me an email or let me know what you think because I
0: am here for you. That's great, Janice. So how can everybody contact you? Yep.
1: So you can contact me by email at hello at moneycareermotherhood.com. Website is the same moneycareermotherhood.com. And you can find me on Instagram and Facebook under the same moneycareermotherhood.
0: So reach out to me any way that works for you. And I'd love to talk. Fantastic. And of course, I will put all of that into the show notes as well. Thanks. Thank you. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and share it with someone who can benefit from this information. You can also follow the Parenting in Uniform Facebook page to stay up to date on the latest news related to military parents and families. Thank you for listening. This podcast has no affiliation with the Department of Defense nor any of the military units or organizations mentioned. This podcast is for information only. Statements and views made by guests are not necessarily those of the host and no statements should be construed as fact or medical advice.